Welcome to Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast, where we will help you eliminate the noise and focus on the information and inspiration that you need to transform your business, impact supply chain success, and enable you to replace risky inventory with valuable insights. Join your Tech Talk host, Corinne Bursa, the 2020 Supply Chain Pro to Know of the Year. With more than 25 years of supply chain and technology expertise and the scars to prove it, Corinne has the heart of a teacher and has helped nearly 1,000 customers transform their businesses and tell their success stories. Join the conversation, share your insights, and learn how to harness technology innovations to drive tangible business results. Buckle up, it's time for Tech Talk, powered by Supply Chain Now. Welcome back, Supply Chain Movers and Shakers. Corinne Bursa here, and I am glad that you are with us today on Tech Talk, the digital supply chain podcast. Well, guess what? The 2021 holiday season is right around the corner. And you're probably wondering where all those gifts are today. Well, the bad news is they're off the shore. And we've got significant disruptions that are continuing, not just on land, but on sea as well. And we're going to talk through some of those issues today. But before we do, think about this. We've got material constraints. We've got shipping constraints. We've got labor constraints. And all of those are working together to really create an environment like we've never seen before. So with the holidays looming, I checked yesterday and there are about 90 ships carrying about a half a million shipping containers off the coast of Southern California and another 30 ships that are backlogged off the port of Savannah. So imagine just the effort it's gonna take to move those goods for the shippers and to get the goods and services in position to help you celebrate your holidays the way you'd like to. So what do you do? What do you do with a shortage of workers, the shortage of equipment containers, shortage of truck drivers, and a general lack of global coordination across the transportation industry? Nobody is immune, no industry, no geography. Everybody is struggling to figure out how to provide great service while helping to contain cost in their business. And good news for you today is that we've got a guest with us with some pretty good opinions that are well-informed from a career in the logistics and supply chain industry. Back with us today is Ben Cubitt. And Ben is the Senior Vice President of Consulting and Network Services with TransPlace. Ben, it's great to have you with us today. Great, good morning. It's great to be here, Karen. All right, so my first question for you, Ben, is with all of this going on, are you sleeping at night? Are you carving out time? Is it possible? Because every day you're waking up to new challenges as you help your customers mitigate some of these risks. Yeah, it's a great question. And one of my peers at TransPlace said, you know, I woke up at three o'clock the other morning with all these things on my mind. And I think we all are doing that this last 24 months. You know, we, we you wake up sometimes and it's just right there. You know, it doesn't take a second and you're you're thinking about you know this challenge or that challenge. It could be 
trying to find people to fill all the seats. It could be, you know, disruptions of California. It could be this customer that, that you're really working hard to help. You know, we we did surveys and and you know we 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 got that feedback from our employees that it's stressful. Our, mm-hmm. our employees are really committed. They feel part of the shippers teams that they're on. So if somebody's on a Hershey's team or a BASF team or a uh, you know an AutoZone team, they feel passionate about that, and it's they feel that stress of not being able to just easily take care of customer issues. They they feel that stress of all the things you mentioned, and it really is all modes, all geos. So we, mm-hmm. we don't have any teams that have a break. You know, we have some teams that are primarily their shippers are primarily LTL, others that are heavy truckload, others that have, you know, a significant percentage of intermodal uh, shippers that are in this region, that region, in every region, Mexico, US, Canada, and it, it's just all, all modes, all geos. And I, I think it does make it harder to sleep. Uh, yeah, but- definitely, definitely. And I don't think people fully appreciate the fact that that people like you and your team members that are serving so many businesses. Now, Transplace has about $11 billion in freight under management and is managing one of the world's largest transportation and logistics networks. So you are living this exponentially, but that's pretty good news for us. The reason I say that, Ben, is because you've got a point of view of how you're helping numerous customers to mitigate some of these risks and really can control what can be controlled in today's environment. And I want to dive into that in just a minute. But Ben, you know, I know you've got about 25 years or more of experience in supply chain. Remind me of how you got into these roles. How did you, you know, set off on a career in supply chain? Because 25 Years ago, I'm trying to remember, I'm not even sure we were calling it supply chain yet. It may have simply been logistics at that point in time. It was logistics, and I'll come back to that. But I got out of the Army after college and spent four years in the Army and started in a career path that was not supply chain. Uh, but the company I worked for had a, had a big cross-training kind of people development program. And so I was in Seattle, a completely different field, and they said, hey, we want you to go manage the Seattle warehouse. And I was like, I don't want to manage a warehouse. No, it'll be it'll be good for you. It's important, you know. And so I went and managed a warehouse. And I was lucky in that a couple of cool things happened. One, you know, it was, it was a really interesting, challenging job. And I enjoyed working with people and solving problems. And the company was doing some innovative things. But they also, um, within a year of me coming into the field, uh, they sent me to the CSCMP annual conference. Mm. And it was down in San Diego, which wasn't bad. But that was great. Uh, you know, the, the, the profession was new. There were 4,000 people there from around the world. And it just, you know, was a great intro to the broader view of supply chain. And then within probably the first two or three years, uh, they sent me to the one-week executive uh, logistics management course. And I think it was called Logistics Management at Michigan State, which was one of the leading programs. So, so yes, absolutely. And, you know, just some of the giants of supply chain. And I joke that, you know, we really were out of content by about Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning, because everything that was known about supply chain really could only fill three days, not five days back then. So yeah, that's how I got started. And then, you know, I had five different supply chain jobs in six years with that company and kept kind of growing in responsibility and seeing new parts of the supply chain, inventory management, warehousing. So 
You know, it's interesting you asked that question. I, I was lucky that in the first five years, I, I really had interesting, challenging jobs, a variety of jobs, and got exposure to the bigger supply chain. The last thing I'll say is, I remember CSCMP, I got involved with CSCMP probably five years in, and there was a year where we were debating, is there a difference between supply chain and logistics? Yeah. And, yeah. You know, so it, it was called logistics back then, Council of Logistics Management. I, I'm totally with you. Logistics early in my career as well, and then certainly grew into looking at all of the aspects of, you know, predicting the goods to, to be produced or sourced, as well as the inventory optimized and through production right through to distribution and logistics of goods. So thanks for that background. I think that's really important for a number of reasons, because I think that that underscores some of the value proposition that you bring into serving your customers at TransPlace as well. So TransPlace, again, is about $11 billion under freight management. And so you and your team members are living this every day. So I'm looking forward to getting just a few insights into how to mitigate the risks that are happening today, but also how do we get a little more proactive and think about our 2022 plans? What do those roadmaps look like? What do we do with our playbooks? So let's dive in and really start about, you know, the topic of the current uncertainty in the global market. So it's not just North America. It's not just Europe. This is a global challenge where a lot of assets are out of position, a lot of assets are backlogged, and certainly there's a general shortage of labor, skilled labor, to help move these goods um, to their final destinations. So what do logistics and supply chain leaders do? Do they just throw out their playbook, Ben? Where where do they start each new day fresh and moving forward? Yeah, you know, it's a great point. And, you know, we've had all the challenges for the past year and a half, you know, booming markets, you know, COVID constrained markets and supply chains have been out of, out of kilter and you just had these rolling challenges by mode and by geo. But, you know, the, the, when you talk about some of the inputs, let's take labor. I heard on CNBC this morning, there are 6 million unemployed, but there are 11 million jobs. Wow. And we're, we're really seeing that shortage you know, our shippers don't have enough labor in their DCs. And so what that means is they can't unload trucks, they keep trailers longer, they keep containers longer. You know, if you took one stat that's interesting about the network right now, is you have the, the CEO of one of the larger ocean carriers emailing every customer and saying, please return our containers. Yeah. You have uh, JB Hunt's CEO talking on a quarterly earnings call, please return our trailers. And then I had a shipper tell me yesterday that a CEO of one of their major trucking companies was calling them talking about an accessorial because, you know, the shipper, the carriers, they, they don't want to charge accessorials, but it's such a challenge right now from an infrastructure, from an availability of trailers. And there's a real trailer challenge slash mm. crisis in the U.S. right now. And, you know, they want accessorials that get shippers attention, you know, that say, Hey, if, if I get my driver gets there and my trailer pool, you haven't unloaded it, and they have to drive 50 or 150 miles to get another trailer, I need a bobtail fee or I need a detention fee. And so nobody likes to have us sorrows discussions, but it's reaching that point. So shippers, they now have that extra, that that network mm-hmm. distribution, that that's taking capacity away. So what do you do if you're a shipper, your volume is coming back, you look at some people who've had this explosion of grocery business 
and maybe their food service business was down. Well, restaurants in most parts of the country are open. If they can get staffing, they're doing business. So food service has grown again, right? A whole new input of demand. And so what I think shippers, we put shippers in two or three camps, you know, so there are shippers who aggressively have a new playbook for this market and they're working it hard. Uh, They're taking the best of their old market. They've thrown out what didn't work in that playbook, you know, and they're, they're really calling plays for this market. We have shippers who still have the old playbook. It really worked for them. They're trying hard to make it work. And the reality is it's not working, but they're Mm -hmm. trying hard. And then we have some shippers who just haven't, we see who just haven't acknowledged that this is a new market. They, they just haven't come to terms with it. And then the second thing I'd, I'd say, hopefully quickly for them is, People are still working those playbooks aggressively and the best are working a new playbook, but they're also looking out over the horizon and saying, I got to fight the daily fight, the weekly tactical fight, but what can I do to get in front of this? And we can come back and talk about that more. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to come back to that. And and thanks for kind of breaking that down. It is, it, it is so frustrating and fascinating at the same time to, to hear on the daily news and on the daily business reports these stats, some of which you shared just, you know, from looking at CNBC this morning, but the numbers are just astounding, right? So even if we just look at Southern California and we say there are 90 container ships that are waiting for dock time, right? Waiting to be unloaded. And those have roughly um, a half a million 20 foot shipping containers on them. So when you talk about, please return our containers, I mean, there's a chunk of capacity right there just waiting to move goods back out once those are unloaded. So it just illustrates the positioning of those assets throughout the global network as well. It's gonna take months, I have heard even up to a year to really work out the system and get back to levels of efficiency that we operated at before COVID came in. And certainly that was before some of the labor constraints that we're experiencing now. So let me ask you this, um, Ben. So when your customers are reaching out to TransPlace and you're helping them put their strategies together, are there a couple of quick areas that you look at or what's your kind of your your first go-to move in your playbook to help them figure out the next right step given the current variables and where we are today? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, we, we have 11 billion in, in freight in the network, additional billions in, in parcel. But then we also do about 4 billion in consulting and kind of mm. people who are not in our managed transportation. And so, and, and more and more of those are year round relationships where we have a group of three or four people just working with those very large CPG and retail manufacturing suppliers, uh, some billion dollar shippers own strategy and procurement. And so when we look at, you know, a a customer for the first time or in an ongoing relationship, we're really looking first to see how is their network performing? How is their carrier performing? And this kind of goes to the new playbook. We're not looking at how is it doing versus benchmarks of two years ago. We're looking at current market conditions. And sometimes people don't do that. So for instance, primary tender acceptance, you know, I have a carrier, they were awarded it. They're supposed to be taking it. You know, good performance a few years ago was 94%, 92%. You know, pretty good performance was 88%. Today, good performance is upper 70s. Wow. Okay performance is mid 70s. 
and there's people in the 60s. You know, mm -hmm. imagine that, that you, you're every day having to scramble to cover 40%. But good shippers, and I've had, you know, some, some very good shippers, you know, good conversations. Hey, Ben, you know, 70% of my freight is working, it's contracted, it's a 30% that's just killing me, that's causing me so much overspend. So the first thing we looked is how are they doing versus current benchmarks? And then we looked. Again, we, we kind of have this playbook. We know what's working in this market, what's not working. We see, are they applying best practices of the day? Or are they cleaning the mm -hmm. best practice? So I'll give you an example. Um, and, and we see kind of a decisiveness. So where are they performing? What tactics and strategies and tools and processes are they applying? And then, um, you know, how are they, how, you know, how decisive are they? So we'll look at shippers who, you know, the old playbook was I have a carrier, I bid it, I've got a low rate, I am going to beat on them and hold them accountable to take that. And we see shippers, <laughs> they, they've tendered it to the same primary carrier 84 times and they've taken it twice. Right. And, you know, we, we want to kind of have a therapy session. Yes. They are not going to take it. They are telling you that train <laughs> is not coming back. And it's painful because, you know, now I've, I'm going to abandon a $900 rate. I'm going to go resource it and it's going to be $1,100 and that's painful to me, but boy, that beats the heck out of paying 2000 for bad service in the spot market. So are they being decisive? And then the, the other thing, I'll give you another thing, appointments. You know, we, Matt uh, Harding, who's our chief data scientist, just did some cool analysis across that 11 billion in data. And he said, how hard are we working to cover loads? And so we looked at how many tenders does it take? You tender to the first carrier, they say no. You tender to the next carrier, they say no. You tender to a backup, and then you take it to spot. And what we found is about double. Our volume wow. grown significantly, but it's double the effort to cover our load. Appointments, you get an appointment. The carrier can't meet the pickup appointment. You have to reschedule. The, the shipper doesn't have the load ready. So you got the carrier, great. I'm ready to pick it up. They tell you, hey, it's not ready. You know, you need to pick it. It's not going to be ready until tomorrow. I have to reset that pickup appointment. Now I probably have to reset the delivery appointment. And so how many people have come to terms with that? How many are, we're using uh, robotic process with that. We're using different robots to help automate that. We've centralized that team. So are you addressing this appointment challenge as a net new problem? Are you applying the same thing and just really struggling? So now instead of covering loads, You've got resources, um, you know, in that appointment churn, if you will. So, so Ben, so many good things in what you just shared with us. I, I think that the first piece of advice that I want to make sure everybody hears is stop comparing your current performance against your historic performance, right? The world yeah, has I, changed, right? So we yeah, I think that's a good point. And change your carrier expectations because that's another one. I think that's a major one. We see people still holding carriers to the same standard, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and carriers, I believe most carriers want to perform. They want yep. to meet their committed volume. But if they're held up at the previous shipper, they don't have that elasticity they used to have. So mm -hmm. if I have if I have lots of trucks, you know, available and there's a problem, I can put another truck up. And if you look at FTR's statistics right now, they say we're at about 98, 99% truck utilization. So I have a truck and a driver, it's planned that day. So that means if I have a disruption, I can't meet it. And, and I had a carrier tell me, I thought it was one of the more provocative comments of last year. I said, 
hey, if you, it's a long-term COO friend for 30 years at a, at a really great carrier. I said, what are good shippers do, doing right now? And he said, they're not firing us for bad service. Yep. And yep. you can't fire your way to success in this. You've got you've to reestablish what you think good carrier performance is. You've got to grade and work with carriers. You've got to understand their challenges. And sometimes shippers don't do that. And they think that the carriers are behaving poorly out of malicious, bad intent. They're taking too much spot freight. And while a little bit of that's going on, I don't think that's our challenge. The challenge is capacity doesn't meet demand. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's fundamental. Capacity doesn't meet current demand in the marketplace. And something worth remembering uh, that's woven into what you just said is it's a terrible time to be a bad customer, right? It's a terrible time to, to treat your trading partners poorly in the market because it's just going to add insult to injury. As yeah, well. I, I'd say the penalty for being a bad actor, the penalty for bad processes, the penalty for being a bad shipper is higher than it's ever been. Yeah, yeah. And I, I believe, I firmly believe that we are are laying the foundation for some long-term strategic relationships as we emerge from this period of, of extended disruption. So I think that's important. Ben, here on Tech Talk, one of the things that we do focus on is that digital element, digital supply chain, digital planning capabilities. You mentioned several things in your comments just a moment ago, and I want to I want to revisit those. When we think about how do we accelerate the visibility, right, the current environment, how do we look at appointments and scheduling and tendering? Talk to us a little bit about what you're doing at, at Transplace to really help your shippers in this battle, if you will, to, uh, to, to get products to market and to be a good customer and to work as collaboratively as possible with their current providers. Yeah, you know, when we think about digital uh, processes and efficiency, we look at it in probably three buckets. The first is capacity, mm-hmm. the second is service, and the third is efficiency or process. And I think we're seeing innovations in all three areas. You know, we're in the middle of, a, of an acquisition and a partnership with, with Uber. And so I'm learning more about their capabilities as we're getting to know them a little bit better um, and kind of some, some preliminary uh, pre-close. But you look at digital brokers, you look at blockchain, you look at, you know, visibility. So, you know, the first area I think shippers should be interested in is what does digital, what does innovation do for me in capacity? Because I need capacity like I need air right now. Yep. And so and we need to match, right? We need to match the type of capacity, the timing, the lanes, all of those elements. Um, so the complexity layers on. And, and Ben, I am shocked, shocked by the numbers of companies that are still planning their logistic operations in spreadsheets. It's, wow. it's, it's frightening to me. And, and I know, procurement. And, you know, and, yeah. and then once they plan it in a spreadsheet, they email a carrier. Yes. And the carrier emails them back, hopefully. When literally minutes and hours matter in the current constrained marketplace, that's got to be as automated as possible. Well, you know, we talk about that. And, you know, when we talk about the playbooks, I'll just talk about that for a second, come back to digital. But we still have people who go seven, eight deep in their their route guide. And then they Mm -hmm. do a blast, you know. So they needed to get capacity in the morning when it's most available. And they've got this process, they send it to a carrier, give them two hours to respond. 
maybe you don't need two hours. Maybe you need an hour. And don't go to eight cares. If your two primaries haven't gone, you need to you need to reach out to everyone. You need to send out an all bulletins alert in an efficient way. Our FAM process, you need to go access capacity. You, you can't be waiting seven, eight hours. But you know, so if you come back to digital, I think that matchup is really important. So what are people doing with digital? They're saying, let me try to find a driver who's emptying very close to the next pickup. So we're, we're you know, that driver, the average deadhead is let's say 68 miles. If we can cut that in half, that's adding, you know, an hour. If we can turn that truck quicker, but, but that match is important. The other match that, that we're doing, one of our investments is, is partial load matching. So if you think about that, somebody has a load from Ohio for 15,000 pounds. Another one of our customers has an 8,000 pound shipment. They would have either both shipped a partial truck load mm. or one would have shipped partial. We match those up at scale across, say, 100 shippers every day. And there's other people doing it, but I'm very familiar with what we're doing. We have a group that's doing that all day, every day. And if you think about that, that's perfect. You know, that that's efficient supply chain. We're now building a fuller truck, maybe with three shippers, goes to California, makes two deliveries. But instead of the supply chain needing two or three trucks, they need one truck. And that makes that driver more efficient. So, you know, there's a lot of things happening with capacity. We're doing dynamic continuous moves. We bought Lane Hub. And so again, Lane Hub is that kind of digital and process. They look at 28 billion of freight. They look at our, you know, 11 billion and they find continuous move matches. So then the next thing you want to do, you've found all these matches. You want to build confidence that people can collaborate. So visibility is really important. And visibility that says this truck is in route, it's going to make the pickup time, or it's a little bit later, what do I need to do? So visibility and having visibility to all your shipments, knowing where they are, being able to efficiently automate, that's some of the promise of digital. Then we look at things like, you know, you think about how long it takes now. I, I post a load, okay, or mm -hmm. I, I send a tender. They have two hours. Now they say yes, but then they have to go find a carrier. And if they're doing that manually, you know, all that's inefficiency and lost time. If I plan the load so that the carrier, um, we haven't even touched base. You talk about planning in a, in a spreadsheet. We really as shippers haven't built in that carrier's time. We just know they're going to pick up. We're not helping them plan efficiently. You talked about, I think this is going to help us do things long-term and be more strategic in the supply chain. I think it will too. And, and I think that's one of the things that's exciting. How do we improve planning? When I'm planning a truck, I should know how many hours that driver has available and, and the shipper and the, and, the, and the carrier collaboratively should plan, boy, the best truck I should put on this load is this one, not this one. Because I may, I may bring the carrier and I may waste four of his hours. I may waste, you know, the delivery tomorrow has been delivered too late for him to pick up another load. So that drivers are going to have to shut down six hours early, right? So we, we haven't even scratched the surface on that. Then when we think about blockchain digital, you think about mm -hmm. it right now, a driver has to have a manual bill of lading. They have to wait and get it signed. They have to, God forbid, fax it back to somebody. There's better, but there's some faxing. And we don't, we can't recognize the revenue. We can't pay the carrier, you know, Paperless operations are in our future, and that's that. Those type of things are things we need to be uh, conquering. You know, you think about COVID. You know, that driver, random drivers were coming in, interacting. You're controlling the entrance to the front mm -hmm. desk. Real 
strong, but you've got all these drivers coming in. That should be done paperlessly. We shouldn't be passing paperwork back and forth, you know, in a regular efficient world, but certainly in a world with a challenge like COVID. Yep, absolutely. I mean, when we, we, we think of truckers and drivers in the network, you know, I think it was really eye-opening for a lot of people in the business world when truckers and drivers were immediately considered essential workers. You know, that's not where their brain went immediately, but the ability to move those goods to market, whether they are um, healthcare products or food and beverage, whatever it might be, is really essential to all businesses that are moving products. Yeah, now, you and, mentioned and, uh, a few moments ago, Ben, you were talking about some of the advanced work that your team is doing around data insights and AI and machine learning to really map all of these variables and these, these opportunities, if you will, together. Are there any aha moments that you're seeing? Yeah, I, I think I, I've been doing this, as we mentioned, for 25 you know, plus years. And the opportunity, I think one aha moment for me is the opportunity is so much bigger than it's being realized. So mm -hmm. we're seeing in that 14, $15 billion network and growing rapidly is that when we go look for collaborative opportunities, when we look for dynamic continuous moves, we've got 30 loads coming into Atlanta, they could match with you know, 60 loads going out of Atlanta. Um, we're not scrambling to find opportunities. We've got, we're, we're constraining it and constraining it. We're saying, you know, literally, we look at some of our AI, if we've got 300,000 opportunities in the next four or five days for this solution set, let's constrain it. We put the first constraint, takes it to 150. We put the next, takes it to 80. We put two more, we, we tighten it. So we're going for best potential ones we've still got a vast number of best, vast uh, potential ones. And then the second thing we see is that shippers are really starting to embrace it. Uh, we just finished an assessment for a very large shipper where we look, you know, part of what good shippers are doing, as I mentioned, is looking over the horizon. So we're doing a lot of assessments right now where people say, hey, evaluate our people, our technology, our process, tell us what our quick wins are, tell us we ought to, ought to do changing our network. And we're really overlaying people's networks and saying, here's all the things you can do within your own network. But if you expand your horizon, boy, you can, you can have larger dedicated fleets because you can fill more backhauls. You can put continuous moves together. So we see more opportunity in that than, than you know, we're not, we're not scrambling to try to find a few pilots. We're quickly going from pilots to scale to expansion. And there's just more opportunities than we can get at. So we're looking for those best. And we're finding more and more shippers who, after they do that, they're in kind of the same mode. Hey, find me more of these. These, these bring me capacity. And as mm -hmm. we mentioned, these bring me capacity with good service and right. good cost. And so finding, finding capacity, you can find capacity at bad cost. You can find capacity at bad cost at bad service. Obviously, that's not the goal. <laughs> That's what we're looking for here. Yeah. And yeah, that's the aha too. It gives, right. it gives us capacity with good service and good cost. Now, good cost versus today, not good cost versus two years ago. Yep. And I do think that's worth reminding everybody of continually, right? The market has changed right now. We're grappling with a number of constraints that are just kind of changing how we evaluate what good looks like, right? It's good in the context of the, the current challenges in the market. And that doesn't mean this is gonna be this way forever, 
but certainly we're looking at some extended periods, right? So all the way through COVID, we were seeing some constraints, right, Ben, before COVID started. I mean, if if we're being honest, there were constraints, labor constraints and shipping constraints and container constraints. It was a very strong economy. It was a very strong economy before COVID. I mean, we had had an emerging labor issue. I mean, if you remember Mm -hmm. before COVID, everybody talked about we were really at full employment. You know, right. we were at three or four percent unemployment, which essentially is full unemployment. You know, we think this is going to be with us. And I think the consensus is at least through the middle of next year. That's unfortunate. Um, I think it could go longer. I thought your comment earlier about people having a longer view. You know, six months ago, we were talking to people about their production. You know, mm-hmm. couldn't production couldn't keep up with demand. We were talking about labor and people were like, boy, we're really scrambling and you know, I think their, their thought was, we're going to fix this and God, you know, good, goodness gracious, in 60 days, we're going to be in a better place. Now I hear more and more and more big shippers saying, this is going to be with us for a year. Our, our, it's going to take us a year to, to catch up our, our production with our inventory. We're going to have to overproduce. I was in a grocery store yesterday and sent some pictures. You know, it's a sign of the times. I don't know if it's a meme, but people send each other pictures of empty shelves. Hey, look at this aisle. You know, you know, look at this aisle and um, long lead times. You know, your holiday shopping. I think you should be doing your holiday shopping now. (laughs) I think so, too. And I'm not an early shopper, but I have started just personally to think that as well. But um, but we're hearing that from all of the major retailers, that if you see something on the shelf that you want or that looks like a a gift item for uh, for someone on your list, buy it, buy it now and hold on to it. So, so Ben, as we look at this, um, you and I agree these challenges are not going to go away in the next 90 days, right? We're going to be looking at this well into 2022. So, so how do good shippers, what are they doing to really counteract this sobering reality? How are they putting their plans together for 2022? Yeah, you know, you mentioned proactive earlier. So, um, you know, good shippers, good, good. First of all, I think any good shipper is doing two things. They're accepting the current market and they're getting as much information about it as possible. We, I do you know, five to 10 customer connects a week just talking about how we see the market. What are market conditions? You know, those can be quick calls, they can be long calls. A lot of people are in planning. What do I need to do for my budget? There's a lot of education of upper management. So the first thing I think you're seeing good shippers do is accept the current market, understand it as much as they can and educate the C-suite, the sales team, the planning team, that information's getting shared. Then, you know, once you've kind of done that, the next thing they're doing is fighting the good day-to-day battle. And they're doing that with the right playbook. They're doing that aggressively. They're doing that with data. Boy, that's a big difference, you know, and it's data, not at a global level, it's data at a lane SCAC carrier level. And they're viewing that performance through today's filter. And then I think the next thing people are doing, you mentioned proactive earlier, is they're being proactive. They're saying, you know, we're working with a couple of shippers and I find this really interesting, fascinating, cool projects. We're working like on a three-year strategy because I think the C-suite senior leaders have had a whole career of solving problems. So they don't want to hear it's bad and it's going to stay bad. Okay, if it's bad and it's going to stay bad, what are you doing? We see really progressive shippers saying, I've got to help solve the driver challenge. Yep. You know, I've got to help my carriers. And, and I think we're seeing people do things like that. You know, I saw an ad the other day for, it was a shipper 
And they said, come drive for one of our carrier partners. And we've talked to some shippers about doing that. You think about that, that's really cool because they have a brand and a lot of carriers are small yeah. businesses, right? So I think that's really cool. Imagine if some of our larger branded companies said, hey, come drive for, pick your brand, I won't say it, but come come drive for you know this, this logo that you really know, a top 10 brand, come drive for one of our partner carriers. And then they had a way to maybe help feed that to their carriers because mm-hmm. that, that may help us recruit drivers. So I think people are being proactive. They're starting to say, what is my strategy? Okay, if the data tells me I'm having trouble with capacity out of St. Louis, if I'm having trouble with capacity out of Texas, you know, I'm really in good shape in Chicago. I'm in good shape in Florida North. But then they're doing things like if I'm a shipper out of Florida or out of the Northeast, you know, that that's a precious commodity, right? So am I am I getting a payback for that? I don't only need to cover that load out of Florida, but when that Florida load gets to Atlanta or gets to Memphis, I that driver, I want to get some of that capacity, yep. right? So if I helped you get out of Florida, uh, I want to get your capacity on the next leg. So I think people are looking at, and, and then they're, how do I partner better with carriers? And I think we're still only at the beginning of that, um, but good shippers are really, partnering with their carriers and saying, instead of saying, you got to help me here where the carrier can't help me, where can you help me and how can you help me? So we're seeing more of that, more of fight the good daily battle, but look out over the horizon and start saying, okay, strategically, what are the things that I can do to start bettering myself? And if I, if I fix, if, if I'm 30% unplanned and 30% at the mercy of the market, can I move that to 25% in 90 days? In 180 days, can I get that to 20%? Yep, yep. So that, that that's a, a lot of good recommendations in there. Now, now, Ben, just in listening to you for the past couple of minutes here, it is a really important time in the market, and it's a great time to have a trusted advisor in this area of logistics. I have heard you speak about doing end-to-end supply chain assessments for customers. What exactly does that mean? And what does a customer get out of that when they engage with TransPlace to do an assessment and and to build a plan, kind of like you just maybe articulated some of the parts, right? A a 90-day, 120-day plan. So we start to look progressively at longer horizons. What does an assessment do or what kind of value comes out of that for shippers as they, they put their plans in place for 2022 and beyond? Yeah, so if you look, you know, when this, you know, we've been lucky um, in that really, you know, my my 25 years, I've been a shipper for about 60% of that. So making sure loads were covered daily. And I've always been amazed at how resilient the truckload market is because I have back in back in the days before this, it was relatively rare that I had a shipment fail. You know, it was a small percentage of the time. But what we see now is that the supply chain is really interrelated. So when you have these inefficiencies, when you don't have redundant capacity, when you don't have these modal options, it's really exposing how interconnected the supply chain is. If I have a great transportation plan, but my warehouse is not functioning, or if my warehouse 3PL is optimizing their performance and not helping me optimize carrier performance, I see that inefficiency. And, and you know, we bought LeanCore and LeanCore's brought a lot of lean thinking to us. 
a lot of waste. So if you look at all of this as waste in the supply chain, so what an end-to-end -end assessment says, instead of looking at a silo, let's look at from, from orders hitting or in order management through that final payment and, mm -hmm. and you know, delivery and then payment. Where's the inefficiency in the supply chain? And we're seeing more and more that DC efficiency, DC planning, inventory planning, uh, customer segmentation, all of that, you know, working with customer service representatives, make sure they have the best information. We talk about buying that gift because it's, you know, on the shelf. What we're seeing now, and it's causing inefficiency in the supply chain, is retailers are prioritizing. And it makes, makes sense. If I've got 500 trailers on my yard, I'm not going to unload the oldest trailer. Mm -hmm. I'm going to unload the trailers that have the inventory I need on my shelf. Well, you think about that, you know, if I'm if I'm a supplier, if, I, if I'm now a supplier, I don't want to keep dumping inventory into somebody who's not going to unload it. You know, I need to send it where somebody's going to unload it so I can get turn it into cash, turn it into sales, turn it into happy customers. So that end to end, which, you know, starts with planning, starts with order flow, starts with planning, starts with inventory allocation, starts with, you know, where I'm going to prioritize shipments. And then through my DC, through my plants, where can I really get velocity? Um, if I'm short, how do I expedite? That's where we're seeing the end-to-end -end assessment. So people, they're, they're not planning in a silo. They and, and we've done some really cool projects where we're helping people, you know, if my DC's constrained, how do I prioritize? And how do I communicate to the carriers? There's no, you know, it's really inefficient if I tell 100 carriers yeah. to pick yeah. up tomorrow. But guess what? I can really only ship 70 loads. I don't want, you know, the, I'm going to pay penalties. I'm not doing my carriers a favor. So that's where we see the end-to-end -end assessments. It can be full end-to-end planning to delivery, you know, or it can be two, two segments. We, we're doing a lot of DC and transportation work, mm -hmm. but then it, you know, it does come back to inventory and planning. So that's where I think end-to-end, -end, and I think it's also where people are looking out over the rise. People feel like they've, they've got, they're pretty good at the day-to-day, -day, the tactical, Yes, it's still painful, but they got an engine working on that. So now if I'm going to start being proactive end to end or a broader view of my supply chain, broader view of my transportation starts becoming essential. And it begins with, you know, that if we go back to the beginning of the conversation, it begins with let me snapshot my current performance of my network, of my plan, of my carriers versus current benchmarks, current reasonable expectations. Mm -hmm. Where's the waste? Where are the gaps? Where can I bring new capabilities, new digital, uh, new Uber transplace type capabilities? If we're bringing the innovation, where do I start bringing that in to really to really change my performance? Yeah, I think that's really important because that's going to give you clarity on what you can control, right? And making sure, again, back to that you're the best shipper you can be, right, in the equation and that you can help your logistics partners to really focus and be more responsive as well, right? So you may be narrowing down those that you're tendering to, but those are the ones that you're really working with in, in the long run as use well. Data, so use data, be decisive. Yep, data and be decisive. See, I love that. So on Tech Talk, on digital supply chain, we're talking about actually, you know, removing waste and waste comes in time as well as inventory and cost. So removing that waste by focusing in and having good data points to understand um, what you can do, what you can control in today's highly disrupted world. 
but lots of good things that you mentioned um, there that are going to help to reduce friction in the network as well, right? So in working with those partners and looking at um, share or, or load sharing in the process, backhauls, et cetera, um, so that everybody wins in the long run, right? There, there are fewer empty miles, um, which means we're making better use of the capacity that is in fact available to us today. Yeah, if I make one comment about that, I think it's a yeah. great summation. And, and, you know, I think it comes back to the driver. You know, you said earlier that, that drivers were essential and I, I think drivers really were one of the heroes of, of, this, mm. of this pandemic. You know, they drove when they weren't sure if they were gonna be able to find parking where it was really uncertain if they were going to be able to find the bathroom. If you remember, um, right. areas were closed. Yep. You know, are they going to be able to get, get uh, you know, stop for lunch? Is anybody going to be open? Um, so, you know, we owe a lot to drivers and we, you know, we owe a lot to drivers. It is a tough, tough job. You know, yep. you start the morning looking for a trailer, you end your day looking for parking. It's a tough job to get exercise. It's a tough job to have normal sleep patterns. And so I think a lot of the things we were just talking about, network efficiency, keep that driver moving. And, and I think hopefully what comes out of this is a new respect for the driver, a new respect that those folks aren't paid by the hour, they're paid for the mile. And so somebody who is doing such an essential service for the country and for the supply chain, we all owe it to them to keep those wheels moving as much as we can, to respect them by having parking, by having restrooms, by having Wi-Fi when they get to our facilities, but also if they're 30 minutes late, completely out of their control, we don't. The answer is not. Well, hey, go out and park a lot. It may be 12 hours before I can load you. Yeah. You know that that's just not respectful. It's not efficient, and it's not. We we all can and should do better than that. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's a great point. I, I think that we have to remember that. You know there are humans involved in this process as well, and and we all have needs. And, um, and and I sincerely believe everybody's striving to provide the best service possible, uh, and that these disruptions are not just with your business; they're with the businesses that are serving your business as well. So everybody is is grappling with some pretty unprecedented times. Ben, in your role as senior vice president in consulting and networking services with Transplace, and and we've mentioned Transplace has has roughly 11 billion, that's billion with a B, under freight management today. You and the team at Transplace are looking at helping all of your customers make these moves on a daily, hourly, minute by minute basis. You're leveraging things like control towers, the latest in um, technology that's available, artificial intelligence, new data insights, um, just so that you can help your customers make better informed decisions, right? As they're putting those plans in place for 2022. Any final predictions, Ben, on what we should look for in the coming months? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think the predictions are, um, first, it's hard to make predictions in this, in this world. You know, in the 25, probably closer to 30 years I've been doing this, um, you know, the last two years have had more change, more disruptions, more new entries. There's there's, there's more cool things going on in supply chain, technology process, innovators than there have been, right? And so more change in the last two years than the previous 25 to 28. I, I think because of that, we think in scenarios, right? So, you know, if you, sometimes shippers want to say what's going to happen, you know? 
And where we come at it is, this is what's likely to happen. This is the worst case. This is the best case. And I think you have to think about it that way. So if you're in, if you're predicting and you predict that this is going to get better in three months, it's going to get this much better. First of all, I don't know how you predict that, right? You know, um, gosh, that's, that's really, uh, you should be doing something different. Right. But I think we look at it as scenarios. This is likely. And we think over the next six months, we think things are likely to be, uh, to, to be, uh, to be tough. We're going to continue to be tight capacity. We think demand, you know, automotive's down for, for chips. You know, mm -hmm. it's um, go try to buy a new car. There are no new cars on the lot. I had multiple friends said, hey, I bought a car and I bought list and it's not going to be ready for two months, but that's 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 a win, right? You know, and these are people like negotiate. And right. you know, um, so so you know, all, all that demand's going to come back. And um, the consumer is sitting on on the, the amount of savings in this country, 1.5 trillion of excess savings. It, there's cash, there's so much dry powder. The government is gonna spend money you know, on infrastructure. That's gonna mm. put more demand out there. Um, so you know, the prediction is, we're, I, you know, unless the economy does something unusual, so watch the economy. You know, the economy is the only thing that can help us. This supply demand, it doesn't seem like we're gonna be able to get a lot more capacity, right? So capacity is hopefully gonna improve a little bit, but, Intermodal is going to get better, but watch demand. The only thing that could really help us, and that's not help, is if demand got lighter. And, and I, I, I see that as tough, but it could happen. So look at scenarios. You know, worst case could be that fourth quarter is just unbelievable and that automotive comes back strong. We could get a surge in demand, um, you know, that, that would really, if we don't get a capacity help, that, that's your worst case scenario. Your best case scenario is we, we are hearing some a uh, little bit of relief with drivers, with some carriers, but not across the board. So if we could recruit more drivers to the industry, that helps, but it's a tough job. And, and there's plenty of other options out there. So anybody that, you know, traditionally this industry helped itself by all the carriers bought lots of trucks and they hired lots of drivers and all of a sudden you had overcapacity. Most carriers are 40% behind in their truck orders and the truck queue is way out there. So you know, we got this delay getting trucks. And even if you got a bunch of trucks, you couldn't fill them with drivers. So look at scenarios and accept the market for what it is. Be a realist, use data, and think about these scenarios. Keep watching your scenarios and then adjusting. Okay, did the did what I happened kind of happen? And is my strategy keeping up? Or wait a minute, it's a little bit worse. And holy yep. moly, I better, I better do some stuff or it's a little bit better. And how do I take advantage of that? And, and I think the last thing I would say is a prediction. I hope your prediction is right, that coming out of this, people don't go back to short-term thinking, people stay strategic, people just deepen that relationship with carriers, with other supply chain partners. And they come out of this saying, we can do better, I'm gonna do better, and I'm not gonna quit working. I'm gonna keep working this hard when things get a little bit better so I can both A, get back to, better performance and make my bosses happy that you know that I'm I'm hitting goals that are tough to hit right now. But I'm also making sure, and we hear a lot of shippers say this, you know, making sure that when the next challenge and crisis comes and hopefully we get a long mm -hmm. rest on that, I'm ready for it. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully a long rest. Um, so a couple of things you said there. So holiday season, if you see it on the shelf, buy it now. So that's that's going to be the first kind of uh, wrap up here. But then secondly, 
be a good customer and show respect to those drivers because they are providing just a, a really important service. And in, as a part of being a good customer, it means working with those um, uh, movement providers, whether you're looking at rail any, or intermodal or, or you're looking at truck or less than truckload. Think about how you can be easy to work with in, in the process as a shipper. And then I loved what you said, Ben, about evaluating multiple scenarios. So I think that this is really critical when we talk about being more resilient and more agile is that we have to be able to replan literally multiple times during the day or certainly daily for our businesses. So we've got to add that expectation that we're going to constantly respond to the latest conditions in the marketplace. And we can do that. And technology can help us do that. And certainly, Ben, you and the team at TransPlace are working hard to provide those types of services to your customers as well. So thanks so much for being with us today. You've given us a lot to think about as we, we look for ways to take control in this disrupted world. There are opportunities there for us. And looking at the current context, I think, is a great place to start. So thanks for that. Yeah, I really enjoyed this, the discussion. It really, you know, Corinne, it really got me thinking about a lot of things. You know, it's interesting to, to step back a little bit and think about your questions. And it, you know, we did cover a lot from, from kind of day to day to over the horizon. And I, I think that's what we're all trying to do is fight the good daily battle, but also uh, try to focus on, on change of things. So I really enjoyed the conversation. Great. Thanks so much. And I hope that these insights are going to help our listeners get the inspiration they need to help their businesses be successful in the current environment and well beyond into 2022. So maybe you'll even be able to give Santa just a little help during this holiday season um, as you look for opportunities to move those goods or fill your sleigh with all kinds of great things. Um, be sure to check out the wide variety of digital content available to you on Supply Chain Now. And while you're there, please look for Tech Talk. That's T-E-K-T-O-K and subscribe. On Tech Talk, our goal is to help you eliminate the noise and focus in on the information and inspiration you need to transform your business and replace risky inventory with valuable insights. We're gonna see you next time here on Tech Talk, powered by Supply Chain Now.